Good morning and welcome back. We're Everything with the Girls. I'm Lydia. And I'm Grace. No matter who says, like, and I'm second, there's always a delay because we're never like, oh, should we do it? Or should we, yeah. should we do Are it? We this is the 25th episode. It? What's going on? Um, I will apologise now if you can hear background noise. Oh, also. I'm not in my normal setup. I would like to apologise because I, I don't actually usually listen to our podcasts. Maybe that's really bad. <laughs> That is really bad. I listened back today because I'm in the zone. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to be a successful podcaster and we're going to do this again. And I listened back to it and my audio is horrendous. So I actually apologise because I didn't realise how awful my mic was. I've already bought a new one. I did one. try and like... I mean, this one I've got is pretty good for Yours like 20 so good. Pounds. I was listening to it. I was like, yeah. you sound so clear, but I sound like I'm in the Dartford Crossing tunnel. I think it has, it has a a thing to do with the fact that the way we record as well because we use Zencaster so because I'm recording on my end Mm. maybe if like you record on your end it might if you hit record on your end it might be better I don't know well never fear because I bought a new mic and I am hopeful that a new laptop's on its way and I'm gonna try and edit and I'm gonna do better so have you treated yourself to a new laptop not yet give it another month and it will be here hopefully but anyway yeah anyway Yes. So we hope you enjoyed our last episode, which, again, I'm sorry if you hear the noise. There's no door on my bedroom. I'm currently self-isolating at my parents. Doctor's orders. I'm not just ignoring Boris, okay? So, although we do love to ignore Boris sometimes. Anyway, <laughs> here we go. Got to get it in there every episode, how much can't. I hate Boris Johnson. Can you? What's up with that? I really can't. I just, it's just like a reflex. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just like... <laughs> you're like um Melania Trump when she whips her hand away every time Donald tries to hold it you just can't stop yourself even though you know everyone's talking about it you just can't stop yourself uh, I really can't I really can't anyway let's get into it so this week we're taking you back 129 years oh, doing a bit of a time machine motion there to the unproven family murder of Andrew and Abby Borden. You probably don't know their first names because it's actually their daughter who's famous for this case. And it's a story that's known across America and even globally, even though Grace doesn't know it, but I'm sure other people in different countries know it. You never know. Once we get into it, I might be like, oh yeah, I remember this. Yeah. So it's one that fascinates true crime enthusiasts, but to this day, the case of the Borden family murders remains unsolved. Although... Most people know exactly who's done it. It's just that it was never proven and no one was ever convicted. Gotcha. So embedded in American folklore, the case of Lizzie Borden even comes with its own children's rhyme that they would sing as they skipped rope. And because I'm such a great podcast host, I'm going to let you know what the rhyme is. Okay, gotcha. I'm ready. You ready? So just imagine kids skipping rope as they do in the schoolyard and all this. Yeah. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she'd done, she gave her father 41. Andrew Borden is now dead. Lizzie hit him on the head. Up in heaven he will sing, on the gallows she will swing. Okay, now. I mean, How fucking good is it, though? I mean, yeah, it's 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 got a good like rhythm to it. But, oh my god! If my like four year old was singing that outside while skipping with their like si- sisters and brothers, I'd be like, what? What, what am I teaching you? I feel like that's what year were we in? One hundred twenty nine years ago. 
Yeah. Like 1900? 1860. What? I oh, know that's when she was born. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, that does add up. No. <laughs> yeah, on the edge of 1900. But, yeah, yeah. But like, I feel like everything was a bit morbid then. Um, 1888 was Jack the Ripper so we're around like Jack the Ripper time well we get on to Jack the Ripper oh no we don't that's a different case sorry that's a different case (laughs) but we will at some point so if you're a big Jack the Ripper fan I know I am I yeah yeah I feel like I have no idea what America was like in the 90s in the 90s in the 1900s (laughs) obviously I know it's like in the 90s it was horrible I mean Anyway, oh. but my point was, yeah. So, like, yeah, it's as morbid as the times you imagine. Yeah, they would like make they would make like rhymes and stuff like that up, and um, it's the exact same as how uh, we would like glamorize murders and stuff by making like nicknames up for things. Mm. You know what I mean? Like Jack the Ripper wasn't actually Jack the Ripper at the time. Like no. the star. Well, he made that name himself, Ripper. didn't he? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, so let's get into it. So who was Lizzie Borden? I'm guessing that's the guilty perpetrator of the story. Well, well potentially guilty. Unproven, but we all know. So <laughs> we know what you did, Lizzie. <laughs> Lizzie Andrew Borden, because she had a nice her dad's middle name was I think that was quite common at the time. That's awful. That's like if my dad's if my middle name was Duncan. <laughs> That's, that would not be a good look I went to college with someone whose middle name was Ledger because that was their was mum's cool name. maiden name nothing wrong with the yeah. name Duncan either dad just saying but I mean <laughs> I prefer the middle name Lydia thanks everyone loves Duncan Donuts okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so Lizzie Andrew Borden was born on July 19th 1860 her mother died when Lizzie was a young girl and her father who became a bank president and successful businessman, married Abby Gray, who helped raise Lizzie and her oldest sister, Emma. The sisters reportedly despised their stepmother and as adults argued with their father over money matters. Lizzie was a 32-year-old unmarried woman living with her father and stepmother in the same house as her sister, Emma, and their uncle, John Morse. The family were affluent residents of Fall River, Massachusetts. Lizzie had been described as a kind Sunday school teacher active in local charities but also as an ill-tempered kleptomaniac who decapitated Abby's cat because it was annoying her. Okay, I'm not sure how you can be both, because I see kind Sunday school teacher is like Miss Honey from Matilda. (laughs) Ill-tempered kleptomaniac who decapitated Abby's cat because it was annoying her. That's trunchable. How? I mean, I suppose you never know what happens behind closed doors, do you? Uh, yeah, but also I would like to think that you wouldn't be decapitating cats. True, very true. Definitely. Maybe multiple personalities? Sounds like it. So there were rumours um, that state that Lizzie engaged in sexual acts with her uncle John Morse and her father. Some say it was consensual, others argue that it wasn't. Either way, it's fucked up and the fact that Lizzie kept the door linking her room to her father's locked with a bureau pushed against it well some say it's a bureau but on the floor plan at the bottom of the document it's actually actually pushed her bed up against the door so he couldn't open it okay so so that definitely meant that it was not consensual yeah um i mean i'd almost hope that 
Mm, uh, never mind. Don't worry. Cut that out. I was going to say I hope it wasn't conceptual, but that sounds fucking horrible. So I definitely not going to say that. <laughs> Lizzie was a habitual thief. When he was alive, her father managed to protect her from prosecution. But later, she was accused of shoplifting the painting, for which this crime was settled out of court. So she's cute Sunday school, but she also chops off cats' heads and steals paintings. Yeah, so, she is the epitome of cute but psycho. Yeah. So let's jump to the actual crime, shall we? So at 6.15am, on a hot and humid morning in August 1892, the Borden's live-in maid, Bridget, or some people called her Maggie, which I'm not fully understanding, O'Sullivan, woke up to gather firewood from the basement of their home. Bridget lived at the top of the house in a little room in the attic, which was quite common in those days. Like the top of the house would always be like the servants' quarters, wouldn't it? Ten minutes later, Abby Borden came into the kitchen where she was joined for breakfast by John Morris and her husband, Andrew Borden. Around 7am, John left the house for the day. His alibi for this time was that he was riding on a horse and car with six priests. That's a start of a joke if I've ever heard one. (sighs) Although the streetcar conductor did not remember him on this journey, but distinctly remembered the priests. Later, the police were able to confirm that he had gone to visit relatives some distance away. So he seemed to be in the clear for what happens next. Okay. Quite quickly as well. And John is the uncle. Yeah, I think it's the maternal uncle. Okay. Yeah. Lizzie's sister, Emma, who also lived in the same house as her, is around 16 miles away visiting a friend in Fairhaven, having a dress fitted. She was visiting for a number of days and wasn't due home for another few days after this crime. Just trying to set the scene a little bit because yeah. it can get quite confusing. So back at the Borden household, Andrew left the house around 9am to run some errands. Around 9.30, Abby went upstairs to tidy the guest room, which was occupied by John. At this time, Bridget is sent to clean the windows of the lower floors of the house. Between 10.30 and 10.45, Andrew returned home from his errands. Bridget could hear him struggling with the lock of the front door and hurried to assist him. She saw that the spring lock had been put in place, which is like, you know, like the deadbolt, like the double lock on the door, but it's like an old one. And as she's helping Andrew into the house, she notices Lizzie laughing at the struggle. So like... Lizzie's obviously locked her father out and is thinking it's dead funny. Isn't she 32? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. See, things stopped, just don't add up. I think I stopped finding things like that funny at like 14. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have Netflix back then. You've got to do something to entertain yourself, I suppose. They <laughs> didn't have TikTok. Yeah. So once he was finally in the house... Andrew went into the sitting room where he was joined by Lizzie. Bridget overheard her tell her father that Abby had received a note from a sick friend and had gone to visit her. Funny how Bridget was downstairs the whole time cleaning and she didn't notice that the messenger or Abby leave in the house. Keep that in your mind for later. Yep. I can see you reading. Bridget helped him with the lock. I thought that was Abby. No, no, no. Bridget. Yeah, Abby's still upstairs cleaning. She's told her dad that Abby's gone. Yes. Okay, because I know what's about to happen and I can feel it in my bones. Okay. 
So once she'd moved on to the dining room windows, she was joined by Lizzie, who began ironing clothes and just chatting away as they went about their business, basically. Bridget then soon begins to feel tired and nauseous and tells Lizzie that she's going to take a nap and goes upstairs to her bedroom. I've put in here that I'm not fully, like, I feel like that would be a bit of a weird thing, like, because they're your employers, so, like, obviously... I don't know. I just feel like they wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, just go have a lie down. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. I don't really know how it worked back then, but... I feel like um, during those, like, that day and age, like, um, your mate, like, a living maid was, like, part of the family almost. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Because she's literally there 24-7, so... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so as she's lying in her bed trying to have a nice little doze, she notes that she can hear the city hall bell chime 11 o'clock. Around 10 minutes later, Bridget is stirred by Lizzie calling up the stairs, shouting, Maggie, which is what they call Bridget, come quick, father is dead, someone came in and killed him. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Oh okay. my God, it's a murder mystery. So I should say... The stairs that Bridget would have gone up to her bedroom it would have been the back stairs of the house, which you can see on the ground floor plan by the sink room, not the main entry stairs. So these back stairs were the servants' stairs. They went down to the basement and straight up to the loft. Uh-huh. A lot of houses back then had two sets of stairs. I think even in this country, they have, like, from this era, they have two sets of stairs just to keep everything separate. Mm. So, yeah, back set of stairs... Let's keep that in mind. And back to it. Rushing downstairs, Bridget finds Lizzie standing in the rear hallway, which is at the back of the house. She tells Bridget that her father's body is in the sitting room and tells her to go find Dr. Bowen. She's unable to locate the doctor, so Bridget soon returns to the house. Another question. If you shouted up to her to say your father is dead, why are you then going to try and find a doctor? Hearing the commotion, the Borden's neighbour, Mrs. Adelaide Churchill, I love the name Adelaide. Adelaide, I just think it's so cool. (laughs) Comes to see what the noise is about. As she enters the house, she finds Lizzie distraught and begins to comfort her. Lizzie explains to her that she had been in the barn when she had heard a loud groan coming from the house. And on entering to find the source of the noise, she found that her father was dead on the couch. When Mrs. Churchill asked Abby, oh, sorry, when Mrs. Churchill asked about Abby, Lizzie told her that she was out visiting a friend. Shortly after, Bridget suggests that to Lizzie that she should try and find Abby to tell her what's going on. Mm. Obviously, Bridget's got her head on her shoulders. Strangely. Lizzie then tells her that she thought she'd heard Abby return. In response to this, Bridget decides to search the upstairs of the house to try and find her employer. And as she goes round, Mrs. Churchill accompanies her. As they ascend the front stairs, they come eye level with the floor and they instantly see Abby's body lying face down in a pool of her own blood on the other side of the bed through an open door. So the bed's quite is raised off the floor. Nothing under the bed so they can see directly into the, the guest bedroom. Yeah. And then shit goes down, basically. So, so Andrew is dead in the living room. 
Yes. And Abby is dead in the bedroom. So is this like where the idea of Cluedo came from or? Maybe. What? <laughs> Maybe. It's feeling a lot like an, a Cluedo game at the moment. <laughs> it really does, doesn't it? <laughs> so at 11.45am, the first wave of police arrived at the house to begin searching. They found no signs of forced entry or burglary and the front and cellar doors were both locked. Another thing they noted was the fact that although there was blood on the victims, ceiling and walls, there was none anywhere else in the house. According to the investigation, Abby was facing her killer at the time of the attack. She was first struck on the side of the head with a hatchet, which cut her just above the ear, causing her to turn and fall face down on the floor, creating contusions on her nose and forehead. Her killer then struck her multiple times, delivering 17 more direct hits to the back of her head, killing her. That'll do it. Mm -hmm. Andrew was slumped on a couch in the downstairs sitting room, struck 10 or 11 times with a hatchet-like weapon. One of his eyeballs had been split cleanly in two. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sorry, I did say it was gruesome. (laughs) Suggesting that he had been asleep when attacked. Oh, my God, he was resting peacefully. He didn't know what was coming. (laughs) His still-bleeding wounds suggested that the attack was very, very recent. So this was a frenzied attack on both Abby and Andrew. The killer would have obviously seen that they were both dead after the third or fourth blow, but the fact that they carried on tells me that they became uncontrollable. To me, it kind of shows how much rage and hatred the killer was feeling while carrying out the attacks. When the victim of violence... Like it's personal, isn't it? Yeah. When a victim of violence is attacked, they invariably raise their hands reflectively to deflect or protect themselves from the blows. The resulting injuries to their arms are known as defensive wounds. Everyone knows about defensive wounds. Sure. Oh, yeah. In a murder investigation, a rule of thumb is that an absence of defensive wounds indicates that the victim was unable to defend themselves. This could be due to a number of reasons. Neither Andrew nor Abby had sustained defensive injuries. In Andrew's case, this was to be expected because he was asleep at the time of the attack. Abby, however, was cleaning the upstairs guest bedroom and appears to have been attacked on the side of the bed farthest from the doorway. It seems likely that either Abby's attacker sneaked up on her, or she was killed by someone she knew, who took her by surprise and struck her with a hatchet. Lizzie was questioned by Deputy Marshal Fleet about her movements that morning, and in her statement she said that she had intended to spend the morning ironing clothes. When her father came home from his errands that morning, he was tired and she had taken off his shoes while he napped in his sitting room. I'm sorry, but as good as a daughter I am, I am going nowhere near my father's feet. Like, that's weird. Sleeps. Yeah, that's weird and they're stinky. I feel like my so dad wouldn't even do that for me now. Like, I'm a grown up. Yeah. Like, if my dad tried to take my shoes off while I slept, I'd probably kick him in the face. Like, what are you doing? doing? I'm on the run. I'm about to go. (laughs) (laughs) I've had this nap. I'm a get up up and go kind of girl. (laughs) I've got time to be putting on and off shoes all the time, wasting time. (laughs) Who can be bothered with laces, okay? Agreed. She had gone to the barn for about 15 to 20 minutes to look for lead to make fishing weights for a trip that she was going on and had not seen Abby leave to visit her sick friend. So again, if she hadn't seen her leave and she was in the barn at the time, how had she known that Abby had received the note from the sick friend and then subsequently left the house to visit her? Sorry. Oh. Questions. 
Questions flying everywhere. No, I just keep getting Abby and Emma confused. That's all it is. Oh, Emma's Emma's out of the picture. Emma's twenty miles away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So if you if you haven't seen Abby leave to visit your friend, then how do you know that she left to visit her friend? Exactly. Hmm. You got to get your story straight, Lizzie. Don't make no sense. Yeah. So following her statement, an officer inspected the barn to confirm Lizzie's alibi. He noted the humidity and stifling heat of the barn and doubted that she could spend as much time as she had claimed in there because he was already struggling after a few minutes. Mm. His story was then supported by the absence of footprints in the heavy dust on the barn floor. Oh, dust. And also, it. they also noted, I haven't written here, but it was a windless day. So there was no wind at all. So it's not even as if dust could have come in with the wind and then mm. settled over the footprints. So, yeah. Um, so we should also note that, we've already said, but these attacks would have been incredibly messy. Police noted blood on the walls, ceilings and floors and whoever carried out the ta- this attack would have been covered in it. Yeah, I mean, the if it's going up onto the ceiling everywhere yeah 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 their skulls were not intact there would have been brain flying everywhere oh my god that the scene. So, <laughs> so not only would it have been all her all over her clothes but would have been on her skin in her hair under her nails everywhere right but no one notes that lizzie had been freshly washed or having wet hair or even that she's changed her dress mm at this point and also there obviously were no hair dryers then so if you wash your hair you gotta let it air dry so it takes a few hours oh my god can you imagine living like that this is all happening between two within two hours like yeah her father within an hour of the maybe discovery. she wore a shower cap maybe but i feel like with a frenzied attack you don't really plan that far ahead like and we'll come on to some of the theories as to why this could have happened so again it won't have been planned so no yeah. shower cap in the theories yeah so all in all everything that lizzie was telling the police wasn't adding up and she often contradicted herself anyway initially she reported hearing a groan or a scraping noise or a distress call before entering the house two hours later she told the police that she had heard nothing and just entered the house without realizing anything was wrong When asked where her stepmother was, she recounted Abby receiving the note and asking to visit a sick friend. She also stated that she thought Abby had returned and asked if someone could go upstairs to look for her. Bridget and the neighbour, Mrs Churchill, were halfway upstairs when they came at high level and that's when they found Abby. Most of the officers who interviewed Lizzie reported that they disliked her attitude from the get-go. Some said that she was too calm and poised, despite her, quote, attitude, and changing alibis, nobody bothered to check her for bloodstains. Police did search her room, but it was a cursory inspection. At the trial, they admitted not doing a proper search because Lizzie wasn't feeling well. I mean, talk about playing oh, okay. the woman card. Like, yeah, I don't feel too oh, good because I'm fucking demolished two people's brains. So oh, I'm menstruating. Yeah. Like all the men were away. I don't feel very good. I just killed two people. I need to lie down. <laughs> That adrenaline rush hit me and now I'm on to come down. <laughs> so they were obviously criticised by the court for their lack of diligence, but mm. what's done is done, lads. Like, 
Officers had carried out a search of the cellar, which they found a box containing two axes, one which was plastered with blood and hair, but on later examination, a doctor found that it would have been belonged to a cow. That's still gross. From him, that's, yeah. They also found two hatchets and a recently broken hatchet head, which was caked in ash. Unlike the other bladed tools, the ash appeared to have been deliberately applied to make it look like as it had been in the basement for some time. So like it carried, it had gathered dust, but mm. actually it was ash. So someone's deliberately put it in ash to make it look like, oh, it's not been touched. Yeah. But they've not bothered to do any of the other tools either. So yeah. obviously it's going to stand out anyway. <laughs> like, mm. Criminals are not smart, I tell you. So at the time, none of these tools were removed from the house. So big, big police mistake there. No reason. Well, do you know what? I'm just going to leave the hatchet head, which was probably the murder weapon. I'm just going to go ahead and leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the mysterious illness that had stricken the household before the murders, the family's milk and Andrew and Abby's stomachs removed during autopsies performed in the Borden dining room. We're testing for poison. Sorry, I just need to... You won't be having Christmas dinner in that dining room anytime yeah. soon, you? Mm, dinner's delicious, yes. There was an autopsy here. We'll try not to think about it. Uh, anyway, no poison was found. So one good thing has come from this mess. No poison. Yeah. Residents suspected Lizzie of purchasing hydroxyanic acids yeah. in a diluted form. No idea what kind of acid that is. From the local drugstore. She defended that she inquired about the acid so she could clean her furs, despite the local medical examiner's testimony that it did not have any antiseptic properties. Her furs, like her fur coats. Yeah, yeah. Because she's a rich bitch. But you wouldn't, what, so what the medical examiner is saying is that you wouldn't use that to clean the fur anyway, because. No, well, why, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Lizzie and Emma's friend, Alice Russell, decided to stay with them the night following the murders. Um,. You can come and stay with me, but I'm not going into a house where two people have just been bludgeoned to death. No offence. <laughs> That's weird. And, oh, their dead bodies are probably still there because they've got to have an autopsy done. So, yeah. sleep tight. Night-night. <laughs> Police let the fight. Horrible. <laughs> Police were stationed around the house on the night of August 4th, during which an officer said he had seen Borden enter the cellar with Russell carrying a kerosene lamp and a slop pail. I guess that's like a bucket. Yeah, it's like the big metal like laundry bucket type thing. Yeah. He stated he saw both women exit the cellar, after which Borden returned alone. Though he was unable to see what she was doing, he stated it appeared that she was bent over the sink. On August the 6th, police conducted a more thorough search of the house, inspecting the sisters' clothing and confiscating the broken-handled ratchet head. Oh, finally! That's good. That evening, a police officer and the mayor visited the Bordens, and Lizzie was informed that she was a suspect in the murders. The next morning, Alice Russell entered the kitchen to find Borden tearing up a dress. She explained that she was planning to put it on the fire because it was covered in paint. It was never determined whether it was the dress that she'd been wearing on the day of the murders. My biggest thing is the fact that no one, especially Bridget, because she's obviously seen Lizzie that morning, has said if she changed her dress or not. I know. Because I think that would have been like a big thing. Like, because oh, obviously they, it wouldn't be normal to change your clothes throughout the day. Yeah. Like, 
unless you're actually going somewhere. So for them to be like, for her to have possibly changed her dress, which I couldn't imagine her not doing because unless she got changed to do the murders and then got changed again, like. She could have. She could have put one of those like um, hazmat suits that they wear. I mean, I don't think they had hazmat suits back then. Mm. <laughs> I feel like I can't comprehend life before like the 21st century. <laughs> Probably because I just don't want to. Like, imagine I mean, a world. You were born in the 20th century, or yeah, no, I mean, in just... sorry, no, I weren't. Was I? 20th, yeah, yeah. Was I? I always forget how they go because they go. Uh, they're odd, uh, aren't they? They're not right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, but only just. Yeah. just on that marker yeah so on the 11th of august lizzie was officially arrested for the murder of her father and stepmother her alleged motive was that she suspected her father of writing her out of his will in favor of her stepmother at first it was believed that the case may not go to trial as at the inquest it was reported that a passerby had spotted a woman walking from the yard to the side door of the house which would support lizzie's alibi However, going to throw a spanner in those works. This was quickly thrown out as a prison matron claimed to have overheard Lizzie saying to her sister, Emma, you've given me away, haven't you? During a visit. Prison matron? Am I a prison matron? You are. I'm going to make everyone call me that. (laughs) I don't know if prison matron is like a a position higher than you. I don't know what that is. I've never even heard of that. I don't know. Moreover, with the testimony of Alice Russell containing what she had saw Lizzie doing to the dress in the kitchen, it was more than enough to bring a murder charge against her. We should say, actually, no, we shouldn't say because we go into it. Like, okay. Do you want me to do this bit or do you want to do this bit? I don't Five days before the trial's commencement on June the 1st, another axe murder occurred in Fall River. This time the victim was Bertha Manchester, who was found hacked to death in her kitchen. The similarities between the Manchester and the Borden murders were striking and noted by jurors. However, Jose Correa de Mello, a Portuguese immigrant, was later convicted of Manchester's murder in 1894 and was determined not to have been in the vicinity of Fall River at the time of the Borden murders. The trial of Lizzie Borden began ten months after the murder of her father and stepmother. There seemed to be no physical forensic evidence linking Lizzie to the crime. No fingerprints, no bloody footprints, no eyewitness reports, no bloody clothes, nothing, nada. It was a highly publicised case, and especially due to the time of society they were committed, and the fact that a somewhat affluent woman was accused of committing such a horrendous crime. A prominent point of discussion in the trial, or press coverage of it, was that the hatchet head found in the basement was not convincingly demonstrated by the prosecution to be the murder weapon. Prosecutors argued that the killer had removed the handle because it would have been covered in blood. One officer testified that the hatchet handle was found near the hatchet head, but another officer contradicted this. Though no bloody clothing was found at the scene, Alice Russell testified on August the 8th, 1892, that she had witnessed Lizzie burn a dress in the kitchen stove, saying it had been ruined when she brushed against wet paint. During the course of the trial, defence never attempted to challenge the statement. Both victims' heads had been removed during autopsy 
and the skulls were admitted as evidence during the trial and presented on June the 5th, 1893. Upon seeing them in the courtroom, Lizzie fainted. I mean, I would faint. <laughs> also, their skulls were admitted, or like what was left of their skull, because it was not. No, they would have. Well, they yeah, they would have absolute shrapnel all flesh. Yeah. After an hour and a half of deliberation, the jury acquitted Borden of the murders. Upon exiting the courthouse, she told reporters she was the happiest woman in the world. I mean, I would be. She just got away with a double murder. Yeah, but that's not necessarily a normal statement to make to the press. You would be like, I'm happy that they've found that I actually didn't do anything because I didn't, but obviously I'm still sad that my dad is dead. Exactly. Don't forget your dad died. And you have to, I know you're very clearly a psychopath, but you need to pretend like you're not for like 10 more minutes. Yeah. The Borden's Unsolved Murder remains a source of fascination today. I mean, obviously, because we're doing a podcast on it and it's probably one of my favourite cases. (laughs) Many theories have been offered as to who killed them. Those who believe Lizzie was the culprit point to the evidence raised by the prosecution, her her window of opportunity, the hot and dusty barn, and at least 30 inconsistent statements, and the burning of the blue dress. However, the crucial, crucial pieces of evidence stand out. Sorry. However, two crucial pieces of evidence stand out. Lizzie was the only person to have stood on the landing while her stepmother lay dead in the guest room, a scene that Bridget and Mrs. Churchill had noticed immediately after ascending the stairs. And although Lizzie insisted that she had removed her father's shoes while he had a nap on the sofa, in all the crime scene photos, he's still wearing his shoes. Oh, plot twist. A prominent suggestion as to why Lizzie might have killed her father and stepmother was that she was physically and sexually abused by her father, which drove her to kill him. There is little evidence to support this, but incest is not a topic that would have been discussed at the time, and the methods for collecting physical evidence would have been quite different in 1892. This belief was suggested in local papers at the time of the murders, though. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not true, but how many cases have we done now where incest and sexual abuse are part of it like pretty much all of them yeah author ed mcbain in his 1984 book lizzie suggested that borden committed the murders after being caught in a lesbian tryst with bridget McBain elaborated on his speculation in a 1999 interview, speculating that Abby had caught Lizzie and Bridget together and had reacted with horror and disgust, and that Lizzie had killed Abby with a candlestick. This is the only time a candlestick comes into it, okay? That is literally so. Cluedo. Also, it could kind of... Kind oh, exactly. Of, I'm not saying, like, I believe in every single speculation, but that would make the fact that Bridget never, yeah. like, said anything, really... That yeah, makes and that you know, it makes sense as well. Like if they're arguing face to face, and she just grabs anything and then just smacks her over yeah. the head with it, a candlestick's hard. Like, yeah, it would have been metal at that point as well. Yeah. So, when Andrew returned, she confessed to him what had happened, but killed him in a rage with a hatchet when he reacted the exact same way Abby had. McBain further speculates that Bridget disposed of the hatchet somewhere afterwards. In her later years, Borden was rumoured to be a lesbian, 
but there was no such speculation about Bridget, who had found other employment after the murders and later married a man she met while working as a maid in Butte, Montana. She died in Butte in 1948, where she allegedly gave a deathbed confession to her sister, stating that she had changed her testimony on the stand in order to protect Lizzie. Oh, yes, Diane. I mean, to me, that makes sense. What happened? I mean, it doesn't mean that they were necessarily lesbians, but maybe she felt like motherly or protective over Lizzie and something's happened and she's lied about it because she's kind of thought. Yeah. Or maybe her dad was a bit. Or maybe it was like a. That. Yeah, maybe it was like a speculation that Lizzie was gay and she came out to Bridget or whatever. So Bridget's consoling her and Abby jumps to conclusions. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, because like a thirty-two-year-old unmarried woman at that time was quite a big thing. Yeah, that's what I kind of thought. Every then the whole time we've been reading it, I'm thinking like Lizzie's a little kid, but she's not. She's a thirty-year-old woman. Yeah, you're right. That is very. Well, her sister was older than her as well, and she was unmarried at the time. So, well, there you go. Maybe they were just like know. two independent women. One's a murderer. You know. Yeah. After the trial, the Borden sisters moved into a large modern house in the Hill neighbourhood in Fall River. Around this time, Lizzie began using the name Lisbeth A. Borden. Because Abby was ruled to have died before Andrew, her estate went first to Andrew and then at his death passed to his daughters as part of his estate. A considerable settlement, however, was paid to settle claims by Abby's family. Despite the acquittal, Borden was ostracised by Fall River Society Her name was again brought into the public eye when she was accused of shoplifting in 1897 in Providence, Rhode Island. In 1905, shortly after an argument over a party that Lizzie had given for actress Nance O'Neill, Emma moved out of the house and she never saw her sister again. Borden was ill in her last year following the removal of her gallbladder. She died of pneumonia on the 1st of June 1927 in Fall River. Funeral details were not published and very few people attended. Nine days later, Emma died from chronic nephritis at the age of uh, 76 sorry, in a nursing home in Newmarket, New Hampshire. Having moved to this location in 1923 to avoid renewed publicity following the publication of another book about the murders. The sisters, neither of whom had ever married, were buried side by side in the family plot in Oak Grove Cemetery. At the time of her death, Borden was worth over $250,000, which is the equivalent to $4,938,000 in 2019. That's mad. Why was she worth that much? Because they all wanted to talk to her. It's just the inheritance and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then because she wasn't married, all the money was still hers and she didn't have kids or anything like that. How mental that... Her sister died nine days after her of, like, completely unrelated. I know, I thought that. That's yeah. weird. And also weird that yeah. Bridget was the one to die last. Mm. She died in 1948. That's crazy. I know. You want to know another kicker? Yeah. The Borden House has been made into a museum. Oh, my so God. So you can go to it today and see it as is. And they've put Not up, today. Like, an exhibition. <laughs> Not Obviously, yeah. Not today, but, like... In today's times, society. Um, yeah, so add that to the absolutely the map of doing our route of weird, morbid locations. Ab- 
absolutely we will if we ever get the chance to do it that'd be so exciting i know so there you have it the murders of abby and andrew borden and the suspected involvement of their daughter Lizzie. We can't yeah. say she was obviously because you have to. Yeah, remember that actually she was acquitted of this, but we're just gonna like lay the yeah. blame on her because fuck it, she died like years. And I years mean, ago. all all signs point to her. Like there was never any other suspect. Like they thought that the the uncle might have done it, but then his alibi matched out, and the sister had an alibi. Like yeah. the only other person who could have possibly done it was Bridget. Like. Yeah. But then she wouldn't have really had a motive. Yeah. Lizzie probably would have had a motive. Mm. Um, so yeah. Definitely one of my favourite cases. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, oh, what's her name? Christina Ritchie. Right. So she they brought out a series on Netflix called The Chronicles of Lizzie Borden. Oh, did they? Yeah, and she played oh, Lizzie Borden. Yeah, but it's not on Netflix anymore, so you'll probably be able to get it somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure Christian Stewart played her as well. Yeah. Um, there's been all like films and TV shows, everything surrounding it because it is such a big case. So if you're interested, you can go and view it. Definitely. Um, so yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, leave us a comment on our Instagram and let us know of any other cases that you'd like us to cover. Follow us on Instagram at Everything with the Girls Pod. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you're feeling a bit bougie. Mm. And if you liked this episode or any of our others, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. But don't be a dick. No, I go. don't think people would be. I feel like no, I don't think they would be. Gonna be nice. Yeah, unless I'm a dick, they won't be a dick to me. Yeah, um, and obviously when this podcast comes up, by that point we will have uploaded um, the post on Instagram. So I'll put on there like the reference photos that we were talking about. Um, yeah. So you can see what the house looks like, the Borden house, and like where the bodies were found and the layout, etc. So hopefully it makes more, if it doesn't make sense to you now, it will make sense to you when you look at those photos. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. So have a fantastic week in lockdown. Yes. As much as you can. Yep. And we'll speak to you soon. See you later. Bye. Bye.